Old School Lane Casual Chats is brought to you by OldSchoolLane.blogspot.com and is associated with Channel Frederator, Manic Expression, The Comic Book Cast, and The Araminta Show. Welcome to a new episode of Casual Chats. I am Patricia, and with me today is a very special guest. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, I'm Daryl Vickers. Uh, I've been a television writer since I was 18 years old. Uh, originally from Canada, moved to L.A. Uh, 1984, I think. Uh, started on a show called Thick of the Night. Uh, I was uh, Mickey Rooney's uh, personal writer for a number of years. I was the head writer of The Tonight Show. I uh, I worked with George Carlin. Um, I've done sitcoms. I've done animation. I've done you name it. If it paid, I did it. Okay. So where did you get your influences for writing? Um, I think when I was young, um, I would say British comedy was, since I was born in Britain, uh, and there's a big Canadian... Uh, fascination with certain uh, Canadian, uh, British uh, comedies. Uh, Monty Python was absolutely enormous for my uh, running partner and myself. And The Two Ronnies was another show. And uh, I think, you know, once I reached high school and things, I would say Johnny Carson was certainly a uh, a big um, influence. And uh, the likes of George Carlin would have been. And uh, later as I got... Uh, into adulthood, I think uh, P.J. Woodhouse, who did uh, a Jesus and Worcester and those kind of things. A lot of uh, appreciation of language along with the humor. Yeah, I think that uh, one of the things about like um, Monty Python and a whole bunch of those British comedies is that they have a different way of presenting um, senses of humor as opposed to Americans, where they're kind of like straightforward, while British comedy tends to... Um, push around a lot of punchlines right before you get to like the major joke. Well, I think there's been a, you know, there was with Python and with the goons, there was a, a real shift in what comedy was. And perhaps the Americans haven't 
cotton to it as much as as uh, they did in Britain. But somebody once described the difference between American humor and British humor is uh, Seinfeld being a prime example. Here is if you uh, you take an enormously small item and you make a gigantic fuss over it. And the British take a gigantic item, uh, like a rocket coming through their living room and just sitting there and ticking and not paying any attention to it, making it a very small thing in their lives. They said that's kind of the two kinds of humor, I think. Plus, uh, the British like to put on dresses. Right. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So uh, what would be the writing process of um, doing an episode for a TV show? Uh, well, if it was a say an assignment or something, um, obviously you have to learn the show. And the first thing you you do is, if, if generally my partner and I, once we got to a certain point, didn't pitch. So it's not like you do two hundred. Uh, they usually go between that. And back in the day, uh, we used to do say two or three sentences to give you an idea of what uh, the storyline would be on a specific show. Uh, but that seems to, as the studios and the networks have got greedier and greedier, now you're doing a page and two pages, you're showing how it starts, the middle and the end. And you know the problem with that is that if there's something in it that they don't like, well, you've wasted all that time beating out all the story. Say if it's uh, about a guy who uh, finds an orange and he tries to return the orange, and uh, somebody beats him up because they think it's his orange. And in the end, the orange uh, finds its uh, rightful owner. Well, if you do all that, and they've already done a show about oranges, you've wasted all that time. Whereas, you know, I'd like to do a show about an orange. Writing two sentences like that would, would save all that time. But they don't care. I mean, basically, there's a lot of um, studios and networks are in the business to waste your time. Because it's no skin off their neck how much work you do. So basically, you you do a you would do a some sort of uh, story thing between two sentences and a couple of paragraphs, and once they okay that, and maybe they give you some notes, then you would break it down into scenes. You know, if it's a if it's a one camera show, well, you know, maybe there's twenty scenes or something like that. And if it's a multi camera, of course, you're breaking it into acts and you're breaking it into two or three scenes an act because you only have so many sets in a, a multi-camera show. So they're, they're different animals. So yeah, you have to write to whatever the parameters are of what you're doing. And of course, animation, there are, there are different parameters in that. Uh, you are a lot more free in uh, 2D animation than you are in 3D animation because everything you do in 3D animation costs money. So it's very restricting. When we first started out, and I don't want to digress too much here, but in, uh, early in um, 3D animation, it was almost like radio because they couldn't really do anything because everything was so expensive that, for instance, we did a, an episode of uh, Jimmy Neutron and it was called Granny Baby and Jimmy gives this uh, age-reducing uh, formula to his grandmother and it turns her into a baby. So we said, you know, basically in a... Um, 
even a live action show nowadays, you'd show that kind of transformation from old to as she she would shrink down and get younger and younger and younger. Uh, you couldn't do that in 3D animation because every single step along the way was a brand new model and it would have cost a fortune. So basically you could see her as an old woman, uh, there would be a bing and then she would be a baby. That would That's the entire transition. You couldn't lift somebody up back in the early days or you couldn't, uh, say, hug them because that would, or you couldn't change their clothes. You could change the color of their shirt, but you couldn't give them a jacket because that was a whole new model. So everything costs money. So you're always... You have to, when you're writing for the show, you have to be aware of what the parameters of the show, what their budget is, uh, because shows are always trying to save money, and you just need to know those things. So, because one of the things, if you write your your draft or whatever it is, or your outline, and it's completely wrong for the show, or you've spent more money than they spend on the entire season on this one episode, you know, it doesn't look good. So you you just have to do that little homework to know uh, what they're expecting and what how uh, they particularly present their their uh, their product because it is a product. I mean, if you're running to order, you know, it's it's like anything. It's like somebody tells you they want a pepperoni pizza with some anchovies. That's what you do, and it's very similar. I mean, there's some creativity in there, but that in the end of the day, you need that pizza the way they order it. And so from uh, sending in the outline and then they will always give you notes and you will you will break it down again. And then you just add the dialogue to it. For me and my partner, uh, we are very gifted at dialogue. So that was always the easy part for us. Uh, some people it's not. A lot of people, when they do a, an outline, uh, they don't put dialogue in. For my partner and I, uh, it used to cement who the characters were because if we could hear them talking, uh, we could we built up their personalities and, and it set something in your head. But we were unusual that way. Most writers do not do a lot of dialogue in outlines. Right, right. Yeah, it, it does make a lot of sense because... Um, you want to be able to get towards the main point whenever that you're presenting something. And if they want to see how your work is and they want to know if they can be able to do anything with it. If it's something that has already been done or it's too complicated, then there might be a chance that they won't accept it. Um, I, I can definitely understand that because I'm going to school and getting a broadcast journalism degree. And uh, being in the media industry especially can be... Um, you have to play by their rules and you have to, um, even though that sometimes it can be pretty limiting, you know, depending on who you work with, then you, you know, you just have to do what you can with the limitations and, um, you know, hopefully it goes well. I, I think part of being a professional uh, is you do the best you can under the circumstances. You know, I mean, not every show has an unlimited budget, so... Uh, you know, I've I, I've known writers who, if the the show pays a hundred dollars, they give you a hundred dollars worth of uh, effort, and if it pays a thousand dollars, you get a thousand dollars worth of effort from them. My partner and I, uh, I, I think that's probably one one of the reasons we've had such a long career, is no matter what it was, we gave our best within the parameters we were allowed to do. You can only make something so good because that's what they want. You have to give people what they want. And, but you can always try and make it as good as possible within those limitations. And 
it's it's you know at the end of the day you gave your best so as opposed to well i just pounded this out and uh you know after it's done whether you care about what happens to it after that or not but you're as a writer the script is your responsibility and if the script was good then you know it's out of your hands if you're not running the show so basically at least then you uh, you gave it your all right so um what was your favorite show that you were able to get the opportunity to work on um uh, i have four i think that i that stand out in my career i think uh the tonight show uh we were head writers uh and we would write uh, put together this, this the death spots and basically if johnny liked it then uh he did it word for word so there was a certain real i think uh, i wouldn't say unique because obviously that's uh but a a because other shows have done it, but there was something wonderful about writing, and certainly pressure in it, that writing something in the morning and seeing it performed in front of four or 500 people that night and being able to set, stand backstage and hear that laughter from something that had only been created that day. Uh, it's an unusual situation. And, uh, you know, when you go out and you bomb, which, you know, we did sometimes because, again, you, you, you have no rehearsal. I mean, you, uh, you know, uh, you, you, you don't try things out, uh, you know, off Broadway and then, and then give it your, you know, the, the final polished product. It's basically the, the writers we had were some of the best in the world because you wrote it that morning, uh, we put it together uh, by lunch or one o'clock. We gave it to Johnny, I think, around two, and he performed it at uh, five thirty in front of a live audience. And uh, you just don't get that kind of experience. It's just uh, it's not filtered through a million people. And most uh, most of the stuff you do in television is just everybody has input. In in this particular case. It was myself and my partner and Johnny, and that was it. Uh, Ned's Newt was another one. It's an animated show that we did three seasons of. Um, it was very early. It was the first animated show we did, and it spoiled us because we had very little uh, interference in it. And we got to do some really interesting stuff, uh, which in uh, hundreds and hundreds of episodes following Ned's Newt, we did it in animation. We were never able to replicate that kind of creativity and the freedom. Uh, we did a show with John Landis called Campus Cops. We had a great cast, and we were able to do some very interesting stuff on that. And again, very little interference. That, that's the theme with me, is, is if they didn't uh, interfere with you uh, too much, then those were the most enjoyable shows because it was basically you were putting on something close to what you actually wanted to see. And I would say the last one I did a show, I ran it myself uh, a couple of years ago called Hitting the Brakes for a, um, a streaming platform. And uh, basically it was myself, uh, another writer named Steve Bilnitzer, and uh, we wrote the entire uh, show. Uh, I ran it with him and uh, basically uh, we had a great cast and we were able to do some goofy stuff. And uh, again, uh, Without a lot of inference, it, would, it was one of those joys to do. Right. Well, that sounds wonderful, especially since, um, you know, those are a lot of great projects that you were able to work on, um, especially the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. I mean, you know, legendary night uh, talk show host. 
It was, yeah, it was amazing because it's, you know, when we were in Canada, my partner and I, uh, very young, obviously, because he started in 63 and I was six years old in 63, um, to grow up with something that iconic and uh, as a young comedy writer in, in Canada and coming from Oshawa, which is a very uh, factory town that's just outside of Toronto and seeing something like Johnny, because he was enormous in the 70s, uh, just, a, just a giant icon. And to go down to L.A. and give some material to the then head writer, and because Johnny picked, basically the head writer would recommend people, but Johnny made the final decision. So when we were head writers, we, we replaced one of the writers and we gathered a few people that we liked and we made the suggestion of the one we wanted, but Johnny would be the final arbiter of that. So as I think we were 28, I think we were 28, uh, when we got an opportunity to submit. And uh, I can remember submitting the stuff and we got a call saying that Johnny would like to interview us. And we were so terrified that we brought our manager with us because we didn't want to go in the room alone. So it was this whole long procedure because it was such a, a gigantic show where you'd, uh, when they called you, you would go in and you'd meet Fred DeCordova first, who was, and went back into the 30s. I mean, he was just a gigantic uh, presence in, in Hollywood. And he would give you the, the whole spiel. And then you, he, would, he was in a little portable unit. He wasn't even in the main studio. And he would take you into the studio and you'd get on his private golf cart. And so there was my partner and I and our manager and Fred DeCordova driving this golf cart where he drove it to the other side of the, the, the indoors, inside the studio. He got off the golf cart and he led you up these stairs and you went into this uh, little waiting room. And then we, we went in and met Johnny and that was just, uh, it was surreal. You, you know, it, a, a guy from Oshawa being in a room with Johnny Carson and saying, you know, saying, I kind of like your stuff, guys. Uh, you know, uh, you know, if you come on the show, don't be afraid to be wild. And he did all this kind of spiel and, uh, and then we we came back out and he, and and Fred drove us back on the golf cart and uh, bade us goodbye and said you know we'd probably he'd probably be looking at other people, and I went home, and I, I was laying on bed the bed and I just thought no I said, he's never going to hire me it's just too surreal you know it just isn't something that would happen to me, and I think I got a call the next day. And they, they hired us, and uh, two and a half years later, we became the head writers and um, kind of made my career, I guess. Wow. That's, I mean, that's that's a really good story for sure. Um, I, so I, my, my other question is, um, what was your least favorite show to work on? Um, probably The Parenthood. Uh, it was a show that we didn't want to do. Uh, the star was difficult. Uh, he had done a show earlier and it had been a disaster. And the studio, when you're on, we were on overall, which uh, Warner Brothers, which meant that they would pay you money and they expected you to work. And each thing you did would, they, there would be a set fee for that thing, which would come out of your salary. 
So the closer to your salary and the set fees that uh, you 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 work for them, the better off you were. Uh, I mean, we we would punch up pilots and we would ride pilots, and if you got a pilot picked up, then that would be uh, a certain amount of money off this money they were giving you, sort of in advance. You didn't have to pay it back, but you, basically it was kind of it was considered a payment in advance. So at some point they came to us with the Parenthood, and it was just right from the get-go it was just a bad experience and by the end uh i just hated it i just hated every second every second i wasn't there even if i was in the shower on my way there i think at least i'm in the shower i'm not there and if i was in the car i think oh well at least i'm in the car i'm not on that set and by the end i can remember the last night because uh, we did 13 episodes and it went on, we created it with, with the, the star, uh, and it went on for another four years, but we only did the first year. I can remember going down from when they shot the show, it was, a, it was a multi-camera show, so there were a number of sets, and you would sit up in this booth, and you would look down, and in case anything happened, you would have to go down and make adjustments or whatever. So at the end of the last show, uh, the audience went out, and I walked down, and I stood on that set, and I just basked in the glory of knowing I'd never have to be there again. And I'd never have to talk to that star again. And I was free. And, you know, not every show is great. You know, everybody wants to be a writer and thinks it would be wonderful or an actor. It's the same with being an actor or whatever that dream you have is. But there are times when you're a professional and you I think you've talked about it on, you know, stuff you've done where it's not ideal. And it's not what you want to do, but you do it because you're a professional and that's your job. And yeah, it, just because it's show business doesn't mean it's not a job. Doesn't mean you don't have to get down there sometimes and you dig that ditch and you hate every second of it. And that was that was certainly the parenthood with me. And I'd say the other show, maybe You Wish, which I thought was kind of a dreary show. And I, you know, the showrunner was kind of a mediocre talent. And, uh, it, you know, it just wasn't fun. It was, the show wasn't very good. And the, it was a lot of hours to do something that was mediocre. Yeah. Um, I, I have worked, uh, my fair share of venues ever since I, um, went back to school. I've, um, done a lot of things such as help, uh, with, um, setting up things for basketball games, concerts, uh, venues, and a whole bunch of things. Just recently, I participated in uh, something related to ABC. And, um, you know, that was a lot of work, you know, putting the stuff in and making sure that you get the right shots, making sure that the people that you, um, you know, who are in charge of it, they want you to do a certain thing and you just do it. And, you know, and then, you know, afterwards, you know, taking everything down, you know, it's like, um, you know, the old saying goes about like, you know, when it comes to people who work behind the scenes, they're the first people there and they're the last people who leave. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I mean, like everybody talks about the people in front of the stage or in the screen or whatever. And they don't always talk about the people who are working behind the scenes. And trust me, it's grueling work and you uh, get to you know, do things that you don't like to do at times, but you do it anyway because you love doing it. And people have a passion for it, whether it be in film or television or what have you. So, 
you know, it's it's not pretty work. It's not easy work. It, it's it's difficult, but you enjoy doing it nonetheless. And it's a competitive field. I mean, everybody wants to be in show business for some reason or other. So if you don't want to do it, there are 17 people behind you who desperately want to do it. It's a very competitive thing. Uh, it's, you know, it's like sports. Uh, you know, once that player uh, does, you know, once he's past his prime, you're gone. I mean, nobody owes you a living in show business. Everything, every show you do, everything's competitive. You have to beat out a dozen, two dozen, four dozen people to get that job. And it never changes. It's always a fight. And you have to be prepared for that. It's, it's a club you want to be, uh, it's a club you want to join. So therefore, you really can't argue about the rules. You just have to be realistic and realize that not every day is going to be, uh, you know, just sitting there while somebody uh, serves you a soft drink and everybody asks your opinion. That's just not the way it works. Exactly. Yeah. And another thing that you have to understand is that let's just say that if you talk disrespectfully to somebody from the industry saying, you know, I don't like your tone of voice or I don't want to do this because that's not how I see it. I mean, if you like are really like pushing them too far, then let's just be honest. I mean, like they're going to not only fire you and, you know, remove you from the, you know, the crew, but they're also going to tell this to their other um, coworkers and the other executives from even the other um, TV stations or um, movie say, uh, you know, movie, um, lots letting them know about what you said or what you've done i mean you think that being in hollywood is going to be like this big gigantic industry no it's actually surprisingly a very small group of people that know each other from ins and outs and such so you know you have to be careful of how you act or how you react to people or how you present yourself you know presentation and attitude is key when it comes to working in the industry oh yeah it's a very small town and people gossip and you know, even you see it even with the biggest actors. If they're assholes, as soon as you don't need that marquee, as soon as that drops down a little bit, they can't wait to not work with you again. And, you know, I've worked with some monsters. And, uh, yeah, it, yeah, if you work with somebody, uh, I've worked with any number of people who I just love. And if I'm writing a script and I, there's a certain actor I like, I keep them in mind as I'm writing. It says, oh, so-and-so would be very good for this. You know, uh, I work with a lot of really good people on my last show. And uh, I'm doing some, I'm writing some pilots now. And I keep them in mind. And, but again, if I, uh, there were a couple of people that I hated, they're never going to work with me again unless I, unless it would, you know, I'm partially retired now, so I only do what I want. But it's one of those things where I spent many, many years working with jerks and uh, you just get tired of it. And if you have the power, if you get that opportunity or somebody asks you, I mean, I've had a lot of people, a lot of showrunners and things will call me and say, how was so-and-so to work with? And I give an honest opinion because some people are great and add to the joy of the production and some people just make it into poison 
and it's they and they never change. I mean, there's very very few people that you will find that go through a bad patch and are incredibly uh, miserable people, and then all of a sudden, I can't believe it. He's a joy to work with now. That that almost never happens. Right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Going into what you were talking about, like writing for animation such as Ned's Nude or Jimmy Neutron, some people in the media industry think that working on an animated series is a low point after being around for live action shows or for movies. Um, since you've written for both, how do you feel about this statement? It depends on any number of factors. I mean, my partner and I got into animation because we'd worked, I think one of the last shows we'd done was The Parenthood and we were, before getting into animation, and we were just sick of working with actors just it the grind of of sitcoms is the amount of hours you put in is incredible uh so when we did uh ned's newt was our first animation show it was a really good show uh that we got to work basically we took we worked nine to five and we took a two-hour lunch so it was almost like we were cheating uh we would I got to see my daughter grow up because I, we work from our house. Uh, my house, my, my partner would drive over and I would walk down from the bedroom into the office and that was where we were. We didn't have to drive to the studio. You know, again, it's one of those things, what do you want? Do you want to sit there at the studio and have everything going around you? Well, my partner and I had years and years of that. So it wasn't like we were looking for the glitz and glamour. We like to write. So again, it's it really is, do you want to be a writer? Or do you want the trappings of show business? Because animation writing, for a lot of it, there are very few tables. Uh, I think uh, Fairly Odd Parents is one of the very few places where people will sit around in an actual room and pound out uh, shows. You, you write them at home by yourself, and you send them via the internet into whoever is, uh, you know, whatever studio it is. And, uh, but I, we did ooh, hundreds of episodes. And again, it's something like uh, Ned's Newt or Jimmy Neutron were fun to write. We did a show called um, Noombori and the Super Five, Super Six or something like that. That was awful. I, it was, it was, there was one season, we had a couple of drawings and it was a show about these blobby creatures, which, they didn't seem to want anything, and there was the and it was a, a young, young show. You know, like preschool. I have no idea, but I couldn't visualize the world. And if you can't visualize the world, writing stories and scripts for something you can't really picture as you're putting these words down, it was really, really hard. So yeah, I've written. Uh, as I say, hundreds of episodes, and there's probably outside of, you know, I've seen, I haven't even, I don't think I've even seen all the Jimmy Neutrons, but the, I have written probably maybe 200 episodes of animation that I have never seen, and probably will never see. I just, they do, you know, the script is what uh, was important to me. Was the script good? You know, is the show any good? Eh, yeah, some of them are, some of them are. That's fair. Been, that's yeah, fair. you know, it's uh, I mean, I guess, you know, when you write it, it's completely different. Yeah. It, again, we've we've run a lot of shows. We did one called Witch, I think it was called for Disney. 
I don't think I've seen any of those. I did have to go in though. We uh, we part of our contract for that show was we would go in and we would supervise uh, the voice actors. So you know there are different levels depending on. Uh, we did a lot of shows in Canada because Canadian animation gives you uh, health benefits and pension. Where if you work on shows, most shows, unless it's a prime time show in the United States, what you get paid is it. There, there's nothing, there's no benefits to it. So my partner and I basically would turn down most of the American shows because health and pension were very important things to uh, aging writers as we were. Um, yeah, so it, it really depends on the, the type of show and how much you're involved in it. Uh, a lot of the stuff basically was uh, just really writing it. As I say, we would do nine to five, uh, five days a week. When we were doing it, when we were doing live action shows, boy, I mean, I can remember doing all nighters on certain shows uh, where you you write all night and then you may get two hours to go home and have a shower and then you'd be back the next day. One of my favorite stories. It wasn't a show we were running. This guy who I uh, a really mediocre talent uh, showrunner. We were doing this episode, and he would like to spend all day on the set with the actors. Again, if you're a writer, write. You know, if it, if it's a necessity, then you're down there. But there's no reason for a showrunner that can't go look at a scene once, come back, and then do writing. But he would be gone all day, and when you when he came back, he wouldn't like anything you wrote. So basically, you'd be starting from scratch at 5.30 after the actors go home. So this one episode, we were writing it all night till, ooh, let's say it was like 7.30 in the morning. And then we had a table read with the uh, the studio and the network at 11. So we spent all night writing. And, you know, you punch it up and it's, it's, it's better. And so we go home at 7.30 and we have a shower and we're exhausted. And uh, we have, you know, we grab some breakfast, we come back. He had stayed an extra two hours with the his assistant and taken all the jokes out. Every single joke we'd written, uh, us and the other staff, that uh, that evening, all night, he'd taken them all out. So we, we go to the, and we don't know this because we're at home having breakfast. So we show up uh, for this table read and they start to read this script and it goes over like the Hindenburg. I mean, there was not a... There was not a, a smile in it. It was just absolutely horrific. And at the end of the whole thing, he stands up, this is showrunner, stands up and says, you know, I know what you're going to say. There are problems with this, but I know how to fix them. And he was one of these guys who, like the, uh, the firemen, and there are plenty of these people out there because they think it gives themselves importance. There are plenty of showrunners out there who sabotage their own work so they can come in at the end and be the hero because it makes them seem more important. Uh, and, it, you know, those kind of shows are nightmares with guys who just, uh, I don't know, they, they have no home life. Uh, yeah, they say never go on to a show with somebody who's unhappily married because you'll be there forever because they don't want to go home. Yeah. Uh, especially if it's uh, if you're paired up with a writer that maybe has a different mindset than you do, and then you say you're told, okay, you have to write an episode on something, and then 
you, you would bicker left and right because you have two completely different ideas on what you want to write about. Uh, yeah, if you're paired with somebody. I mean, if the, if the showrunner tells you to write a show, it doesn't matter if you like it or not. That's what you do. But, uh, you know, my, myself, I've been lucky because I, I've had one partner uh, for 44 years. Right. A lot of people are put together because it saves money. Uh, so I know when I, one of my very first shows was uh, Thick of the Night, and they, you had, you basically, I think you paid the same kind of money for two writers that, that you did for one. So they would hire uh, Joe Blow uh, and uh, some other guy, and they would say, "You're partners now." And you'd be in a room together, and you've never even seen each other before. So th there's a lot of these partnerships that a lot of them don't last. Uh, some of them are partnerships of convenience and budget, and some of them, are, some guys just like partners, and they will, you know, these things are like marriages, uh, except in a marriage, uh, you get better things than than uh, some bad jokes from the guy across from you. Uh, so, yeah, there are a lot of guys who throughout their careers will have four or five different uh, writing partners, and sometimes they, they work out well, and sometimes they don't. Uh, myself... Uh, my partner, because we started so young, we, I mean, we started writing when we were, uh, oh God, I think we were like 14, 13 and became professionals at 18. And, uh, you know, we still do the odd project together. I do a lot of solo stuff now in the last few years since I've been semi-retired, but, uh, I mean, we would argue, I mean, we were infamous uh, because you'd hear us screaming at each other down the hall, uh, you know. We, but again, it was it was more of a, a a brother type thing with my partner and I because we knew each other so well. It's it wasn't a it wasn't born out of finance or it wasn't born out of convenience. Uh, we just were a couple of guys from Oshawa who decided we wanted to be writers and. Through all the knockdown, drag out fights of, of forty odd years, uh, we uh, we never looked uh, for other partners to write with. Yeah, well, that's wonderful that you're able to have a writer that not only has been around for that long, but also that you can be able to partner up with and you can be able to create such unique stories that you know a lot of people seem to gravitate towards, whether it be in live action or animation. Well, I think part of the strength we had is we are very, very different people, and uh, we had different approaches to writing, and we have different interests. So we, as opposed to two guys who like sports and everything we write is about sports, uh, most of the things I really like, Andrew has no interest in, and and vice versa. So we we had a larger world of things to draw from and two different writing styles. Andrew has often described the way we do things as he has a, almost a mathematical way of writing a joke where he will get some sort of an idea and he will just put it out and he will replace words and he will move things around and try and figure out how to get the most comedy out of, of, of a particular idea. And he says that myself, and he's probably true in a lot of ways, that things just drop out of the sky and hit me in the head, and I, I and that's the thing I, I write. It, it's 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 more instinctual. I don't know. It just things occur to me, and, uh, I, and in some ways it's it's almost scary because I, I thought you know with with Andrew's mathematical way you can always kind of do things, but suppose one day things didn't occur to me. I, I what would I do? I have no idea. Hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, well, that's that's a good thing because um, if a person, I mean, if you were to pair up with two people who think exactly alike, I mean, you know, what's the point? I mean, you, if that's the, um, you could always just have ja that one person just basically do everything because you know the other person would be pretty much identical with a different person paired up, then you can be able to think of something that you wouldn't have thought of, and vice versa. And I think one of the things Andrew often said about us, because we had been writers, uh, partners for so long, is that if you're writing with a new partner, it's like having a new girlfriend. Uh, you don't want to say anything bad. So basically, you know, when you're pitching ideas back and forth, you would probably put in stuff that you didn't particularly think was great because you didn't want to be rude or you uh, you didn't want to offend the other person. Andrew and I were never afraid of offending each other. So it would be uh, a much more heated thing and we were never afraid to say, I don't like that line. We, we can come up with better than that. Even if the other person really liked that line, uh, we, would, uh, we would certainly lock horns on a lot of stuff where if you didn't know the person that well, you probably wouldn't want to go to the mat like that. Yeah, exactly. So I have one more question uh, for anybody who's tuning in who may even want to work in the media industry. Um, you yourself as a TV writer, uh, what would what advice would you give them? Well, I think the the advantage you have today is technology, which wasn't available to you know when I started out on. Uh, Manual typewriters. I mean, uh, electric typewriters were a fortune, and they weren't correctable. You you had whiteout. So, you know, I I come from the Stone Age of writing. I mean, you know, I was at the the end of uh, the the great uh, old Hollywood. So I think if I was starting out today, and I know that, and it's certainly true with me that uh, a lot of writers are uh, socially backward and don't uh, deal well in those kind of situations. What I think. Number one, to be, I'm going to back up one and say you have to be a self-starter, especially if you're in the early days of your career. You can't just sit and wait for somebody to say, oh, I want to hire you. Uh, when back in our day, we would write scripts. I mean, if we, you know, we would just pound out sketches and we would write uh, half hours. And so you build up a um, uh examples of your work so that whatever came along whether it was an hour show a half hour show Andrew and I wrote cartoons uh, we wrote uh, sketches we wrote one-liners for comedians I mean just everything so that when a, an opportunity came up uh, we had been in that arena and we were able to step up to the plate but the difference between then and now is that if if I was starting out again I would probably cultivate some friends who are actors and be able to produce, again, you produce within the realm of what you can do. You write within those. So I would write things today uh, that were easy to produce, get a few of my actor friends, you know, because this would be, for me, it, was, it would have been high school. It would have been just post high school. Produce things, put them online, because a lot of producers, a lot of uh, studios do not read, but they will watch things. So even if you were to be able to just go in and show some of your sketches to an agent or show, uh, you know, because then it's then it's something more than just sitting in, because agents and studios really do want to sit and be in Tinseltown. Writers and, you know, people who work on the line and things like that, they aren't that. 
uh, you know, those are real jobs. But if you're if you're a guy who's sitting in a uh, a development job at a studio, do you really want to read another script? Watch something. It'll take five minutes. It'll take ten minutes. Whatever. And if it's funny and amusing, then he'll give you. Uh, you know, you might get a call. But the chances of him picking up a script uh, out of the great big pile of scripts he's he's got and really giving it any attention at all is is doubtful. Uh, it's it's that's a hard road. I would be a self starter. I would use the technology that I have. I would do uh, you know vlogs. I would do uh, blogs. I would do uh, videos for YouTube. I would do videos uh, for Vimeo or whatever you get that exposure. You're also getting. Um, I think it's a good learning process because you realize when you're writing what the limitations are of what you're doing because you probably don't have any money so you're doing funny for free and uh, you're figuring out how to work within parameters and you're actually getting product that will help you uh, sell yourself down the road that's what I would do wow well that's very wonderful advice and uh, I want to thank you very much for coming on by and uh, sharing your amazing um, you know wisdom and uh, advice for everybody but I don't know if it's wisdom I hope it's not too much uh, just plain blather but uh, those, you know, those are a few of my experiences in the biz. Yes, well, thank you very much. We, it was, it was very enjoyable. Oh, thank you, thank you, Maya. All right. Um, so please uh, let us know. Um, you know, if you have anything to plug or self promote, or you know, where can people find you at? Uh, you know, I don't really do uh, a lot of self promotion. I've got a um, uh, vinyl is my other love, so I have a. Um, a, a YouTube channel called uh, Off the Beaten Tracks, where I do album reviews and I interview actually uh, rock stars about albums they've uh, they've done, and so that's been a lot of fun. And if you're interested in music, uh, perhaps you could check me out there. All right, sounds wonderful. And uh, we're gonna give a special thanks to Liam Higgins, uh, who uh, paired up um, Daryl with myself for this uh, podcast interview, and I'll link. Uh, Liam's stuff in the description box below where you can find him and uh, check out his podcast mini series what I just saw uh, where it um, you know he had a whole bunch of uh, actors and um, actresses uh, come by and you know perform various characters based off of the channel awesome incident and uh, I interviewed one of the actresses uh, Aria Curzon you can check that out on the podcast feed uh, so let us know in the comments below about uh, what have what have been your favorite shows that Daryl has worked on. And uh, thank you very much for listening, everyone. I hope to see you around soon and take care.